Lord, it is an honor and privilege to be here today, Lord. It could be a million other things that we could be doing. We could be sleeping in. We could just um, waste the morning away, Lord, on ourselves or on other things, Lord. But we're here, Lord, and you have ordained it. You have brought us here. You have called us here, Lord. And I just ask that during this time, may we just make it useful, Lord. Lord, may our, if our minds are just focused on other things, on our problems, on events coming up, or um, again, worries about things that may come, be coming up, Lord, let us just put that to the side, Lord, and concentrate on what it is that you want to show us this morning. Or through the death of your son, Lord Jesus, is, is of the utmost importance, Lord. We want to understand that more, Lord. We want to just be able to really see how his cross, his death, is meaningful for us, Lord. Maybe some of us just have a surface understanding, Lord, but we, we just ask right now that we... We want to know you more. We want to know his death more. Lord, use me right now to speak your truth, to speak your word. Use me as an instrument, as a tool. Fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're, going to, we're in Mark chapter 15, and we're going to be starting in verse 33. Once again, Mark chapter 15, verse 33. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed, fixed it on a reed, offered him to drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he, was, he, he had breathed his last, he said, this man really was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger and Joseph and Salome and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they would follow him and help him. Many of the women came up with him to Jerusalem. Now growing up, uh, my mom taught me a lot about the cross. She taught me what it was and who was there hanging on the cross. Um, and even as a young Christian, I understood what it was, but it wasn't until later on that it, it wasn't until I actually gave my life to the Lord, that I really understood what the cross was. And that is Jesus there dying on the cross for me, uh, for my sins. And it had a much more deeper understanding. It didn't, um, and I guess as the years went by, it became more deeper. It, it became more meaningful, and it, it really impacted me in ways that I... You know, it would take me days to, to explain. It was because of that 
that I'm here right now. I mean, it was just, you know, knowing that he, my sins were placed upon him that just makes me want to just do what I'm doing right now. You know, he did all that for me. He bled and suffered and was spat upon and all, all, this, all these afflictions for me. And he did that for you. So as we go through, as we begin our passage this morning, Mark begins telling us from, that from noon until three in the afternoon, in the heart of the day, the light of the sun was blotted out and darkness came over the land. Now, biblical scholars believe that the darkness Mark is talking about is that, is that more, likely, more than likely a, a solar eclipse. Now, if you guys been through, if you've guys been through an eclipse or seen one, you know that it just lasts a few minutes. It's not, it's not a very long. Now, the darkness that Mark describes lasted for three hours, from noon until 3 p.m. And the darkness was thick and oppressive. We can only imagine how terrifying that might have been. How dark things were, how just eerie things were. And we see a lot of people were just terrified because of that. Now in the spiritual realm, this darkness represented the moment God turned his holy eyes away from his son as he took the sins of the world upon himself. And in the peak of that moment, in the peak of, of, of that happening, Jesus cried out in agony. Not in the agony of the pain he was feeling because of the scourging or the agony of the thorns and nails, but the agony of, a for, of forsakenness. It was in this state of absolute abandonment and in his emotional and in this emotional distress that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His entire life, Jesus knew pain and suffering. Now, although this may have been the worst physical pain he endured, it was nothing compared to the emotional pain of being separated from his father. Jesus not only endured the withdrawal, the withdrawal of his father's fellowship, but the actual outpouring of the father's wrath upon him as a substitute for his sinful humanity. For, I'm sorry, for sinful humanity. Mark then tells us that those who heard Jesus mistakenly thought he was crying out to Elijah. You see, because these spectators only heard a piece of what he actually said, they failed to grasp the meaning of his cry. And regrettably, this still happens to this day when people misunderstand what the Word of God actually says. You may have heard it. People will quote the Bible. People will say certain things that may sound like it comes from the Bible, but it actually doesn't. You know, I mean, I could probably, off the top of my head, I can think of, you know, one that's often used is money is the root of all evil, right? You might have heard that before. But what does the Bible actually say? It's the love of money. It's the root of all evil. 
So this is what's happening, even on the cross. He's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all they hear is he's crying out for Elijah. They don't, he's even being misunderstood on the cross as he's there dying. So when they hear this, he was offered wine and uh, he was offered sour wine. As they mockingly said amongst each other, as they mockingly said amongst each other, let's see if Elijah comes down to take him. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Sadly, Jesus was misunderstood and mocked until the bitter end. Then in verse 37, we're told that Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Now in John 19.30, we're told that Jesus cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. In the ancient Greek language, it is finished means paid at all or paid in full. You see, in other words, Jesus' last breath was a cry of victory because in addition to completing the purpose of the cross, he also paid in full the debt of sin that we weren't able to pay. Now, Mark also reports in our passage this morning two events that occurred as Jesus died. First, the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. When that curtain was split, it signified that man now had free access to God's throne room, the Holy of Holies. There used to be a curtain in the temple that separated man and God's most holy place. And this curtain was, it was a really thick curtain. I forgot the dimensions, but it was a really thick curtain and it was split. And now man, there was no barrier now. Man can come to God's throne room at any time. In addition, the fact that it was torn from top to bottom signified that God tore it from heaven rather, rather than man tearing it from earth. This was God's working. He did it all. It wasn't us. It wasn't w- the works that we do. He's the one who tore it. It didn't come from us. And secondly, the other event was that one of the soldiers standing opposite of Jesus, Jesus' cross, came to realize that, God, that Jesus was God's son. When Jesus died, he realized that something cosmic of cosmic significance had occurred. And for him, it was clear and undeniable. That centurion, the centurion standing there, saw something in the manner of Jesus' death that caused him to confess that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And then finally, in verse 41, the most faithful disciples of Jesus are revealed. Who are these faithful disciples? They were the female followers. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, and many other women. Now while the disciples had fled and they had ran away, these women who had been in Jesus' entourage during his earthly ministry stayed close enough to be observers 
of his death. Now, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is nothing less than the most monumental cosmic event since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. You guys realize that? This completely changed everything. His death changed everything. Billy Graham said this, God undertook the most dramatic rescue operation in cosmic history. He determined to save the human race from self-destruction, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to salvage and redeem them. The work of man's redemption was accomplished on the cross. Paul, in Colossians 2.14, tells us what Jesus did on the cross, did for us on the cross. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. In other words, on the cross, Jesus gave up his life so that we may have it. However, just to give you a better understanding, I want to explain some specific details about what Jesus' death means for those who believe in him. I'm going to be throwing out some terms here that you may have not heard that maybe seem big, but again, I'm going to explain them to you so that you're not left uninformed. Now, these are, you know, you might hear about these words in theological books and, and all that, but it's important for you, for me to explain what these are so you know what Jesus, you know, what Jesus Christ accomplished there on the cross, what, what he did. When Jesus died on the cross, these five things happened. Jesus became a substitution. What I mean is this. Jesus was bearing sin's penalty, which he did not deserve, in the place of others who did, who did deserve it. He, he took the place of those whose sin leaves them spiritually ruined and exposed to God's wrath. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5.21, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, when Jesus Christ died, he paid the debt you owed for all your sins. He took your place. He, uh, he, yeah, yeah, he took your place on the cross. That should have been us. That should have been us suffering for all our sins we committed. But he took our place. He substituted himself. Number two, Jesus Christ became a propitiation. Now this again, this is one of those words you don't hear every day. But it's vitally important that we understand it, that you understand it. Propitiation means that the righteous demands of a holy God were fully satisfied. You see, God had zero toler tolerance for sin. Zero tolerance of sin. He can't even look at it. He can't bear it. He hates sin. So as sinful human beings, he can't tolerate it. He can't... We're dirty in his eyes compared to his holiness. And because of this holiness, he demands that all sin be punished. 
So when Jesus became accountable for the sins of others, he was punished as though he had committed them. And he bore that punishment both in his body and his soul. 1 John 4.10 tells us this, Love consists of it in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. You see, Christ provided a satisfactory payment for all your sins through his death. And God's divine wrath, you deserved, was averted. He took on that penalty. He took it on himself. And God's judgment, God's wrath, God's divine judgment was satisfied. Number three, Jesus provided redemption. When a ransom has been paid, the captives are set free or redeemed. And this is what happens to those whom Jesus, to those for whom Jesus gave his life. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he purchased believers out of the slave market of sin and set them free. Ephesians 1.7 says, We have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. When Jesus died, he redeemed you and set you free from the prison of sin to live in a way that is pleasing to him. You have been redeemed. You're no longer a slave once you've given your life over to him. Number four, Jesus Christ's death provided forgiveness. In the death of Jesus, the Christian believer is cut loose from the double burden of guilt and debt and is freely and fully forgiven forever. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You have been healed by his wounds. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died to forgive you of all your past, present, and future sins. He freely offers it to anyone who asks. Jesus' death provides justification. In a court of law, justification is what happens when a judge declares that the prisoner before him is not liable to any penalty demanded by the law and is to be treated as though he had never broken it. Because Jesus never sinned and lived a perfect life, he met all the demands of God's law. He was holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and his death paid the full penalty that God's law demands. Jesus was punished as though he had never been holy, so that those whose place he died could be treated as though they had never been unholy. God declares a person righteous 
on the basis of the life and death of his son who was acting on that person's behalf. Paul explains that this is, Paul explains what, this, what the results of justifications are in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, and I hope you see, I hope you see this, when Jesus died on the cross, he removed your sin. He took it away and bestowed upon you Christ's righteousness. Do you guys get that? Your sins are removed. You're no longer sinful. And in Christ's holiness, Christ's righteousness is placed upon you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, because of our sins, we are poor. But as a result of his death, we are rich. We become rich. We're made rich. Before I move on to the last part of our reading, I want to share with you another quote that helps us put Jesus' death into perspective. J.C. Ryle said, If Christ had not gone to the cross and suffered in our stead, the just for the unjust, there would have, been a, there would have been, not have been a spark of hope for us. There would have been a mighty gulf between ourselves and God which no man could ever have passed. Do you guys get it? Do you guys, do you guys understand what I'm saying here? Is that the death of Jesus has given you life. And now that you have life, why would you want to live as though you didn't? Why would you want to live as though life was insignificant? He's given you eternal life. So, you want to live, you ought to live as though life matters. He has a purpose for you. Jesus didn't die for nothing. He died to give you, for you, to give you a purpose. All you have to do is just accept it and continue to walk in Him. Focus on Him. He is the one who's the, the source of your life. Not anybody else, not anything else. This whole world may disappoint you. Family will disappoint you. Friends will disappoint you. But the only person that won't disappoint you is Jesus Christ. He's the one you've got to cling on to because He's the only one who suffered and died for you. You know, we make the mistake sometimes of making other people our savior, making other people more important to us, and they become our God. But when are we gonna realize that that person isn't, or that thing isn't God? Our hope, our joy, our faith, our salvation is in Christ alone. He's the one that we ought to give all our energy to, all our love to, all our passion to. It's Him. Not anything else. Because when all is said and done, when the whole world forsakes you, He's there. He will be there, no matter what. We're not talking about, I'm not talking about a ghost. I'm not talking about an imaginary, we're talking about 
Jesus Christ, who was there, who died, who suffered. And His Spirit is in us now. And His Spirit will show you what you need to do, how you need to do it, how to, how to live and how to continue to have hope in Him. That's why, you, that's why again, I, I, I will never stop saying it. But you, just, you have to look at Him. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the source of our strength, of our faith. All right, let's, let's move on to the last section, verse 42. Mark chapter 15, verse 42. When it was already evening, because it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. After he bought some fine linen, he took him down and wrapped him in the linen. Then he placed him in a tomb, cut out the rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were watching where he was placed. When Joseph asked for Jesus' body, we're told that Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus had died. Why do you think he was surprised? Why do you think he was, we're told that he was basically amazed and shocked? Well, historians have noted that it wasn't unusual for a crucified criminal to live for two or three days as he hung on the cross. Death on the cross was a slow process that ultimately arrived when the victims succumbed to blood loss, dehydration, exposure, and hunger. Sometimes to hasten the process, the Romans would take a large sledgehammer type or a big stick and they would just break the legs of the prisoners on the cross. And when that happened, usually, ultimately, that dying victim would, that victim would die of asphyxiation. He just couldn't breathe anymore. You see, he couldn't longer push his body against the cross to get that last grasp of air. So he would just die of, of suffocation, of asphyxiation. John 19, however, tells us that Jesus was spared this indignity because he died before the Romans began to break the legs of the crucified victims that day. So when Pilate summoned the centurion who had been in charge of the detachment guarding Jesus, his report confirmed Jesus' death. In John 19, 31 and 36, we're also told that his death was confirmed by careful examination of other eyewitnesses. Now throughout history, people have doubted whether Jesus, whether or not Jesus actually died on the cross, whether or not he really died. There are people out there who say, oh, he didn't really die. You know, it was just, it, you know, it was just made up. Something happened. He, had just, he went into shock and then, you know, and he survived afterwards. But any medical examiner, if you give them the evidence that we have in the Bible, 
they will tell you that, no, he, he definitely died. Now, again, maybe you've heard some of those doubts or even had them yourself. Did Jesus really die? Did he really die there on the cross? Now, aside from the medical evidence that supports the fact that he died, there were also eyewitnesses there. There were eyewitnesses to, to witness Jesus' death and burial. So whenever you have those doubts, you can make the argument, you know what, there was witnesses there. There was witnesses there, there was witnesses that noticed and the record doesn't lie. Pilate, the centurion, these other eyewitnesses, they, they, they recorded it. It's there. The location of his, of his burial was also verified by these other eyewitnesses. Now these facts ought to help alleviate any doubts you may have and help you with a good, def good defense to other, you know, against other doubters. I would, again, make, there's a lot of great books out there. One book that I, I can think of at the top of my head is uh, the, the Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. That gets, that's, that's written by a former atheist who went in as a reporter to debunk these claims that Jesus actually lived, died, and rose, and rose again. Again, this, these kind of, this kind of information will help you make a good defense for your faith. Now, who was this man? Who was this man, Joseph of Arimathea? Well, Joseph was a prominent council member. He was there. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was there when Jesus stood on trial before the chief priest. Remember I mentioned a few weeks ago that there was at least 70 men in that room. Well, apparently he was one of them and stood silently by as Jesus was sentenced to death by the chief priests. It's interesting that although he didn't speak on behalf of Jesus while he was alive, he was not ashamed to identify with Jesus while he was in his death. Pastor David Guzik writes about Joseph's brave actions here. Joseph did not serve Jesus in many ways, but he did serve him in ways no one else did or could. It was not possible for Peter, James, or John, or even many of the women who served Jesus to provide a tomb. But Joseph could and did. We must serve God in whatever way we can. Mark also tells us in verse 46 that he took great pains to give Jesus a proper burial. Joseph took Jesus down from the cross wrapped him in the linen he had bought, placed him in a tomb, and rolled the stone against the tomb's entrance. John's, John 19.41 tells us that this tomb was in the garden close to Golgotha and that it was brand new. Also in Matthew 27.60, we're told that this tomb belonged to Joseph. That was Joseph's tomb. That was going to be his tomb when he died. But he's like, no. I want to honor Jesus. I'm going to give my tomb to him. The only thing he wasn't able to do. 
because of the Sabbath was to anoint him properly with spices. And this is what we see the women doing the next day early in the morning. They came to the, to the tomb to anoint him with spices. And it was the morning after the Sabbath. Again, you have to remember that in the Sabbath, no one, once the sun went down, no one was allowed to work anymore. So I'm sure that Joseph, after Jesus died, was working furiously, doing whatever he could just to prepare him for his burial. But unfortunately, he couldn't get to the spices. And that's where we see, again, see the women coming in the next day, or on, after the Sabbath, to anoint his body. And we're going to be covering that in the next chapter. Now, some have argued that Joseph of Arimathea could have done something to prevent Jesus' death. But my argument is that it wasn't that simple. It just wasn't that, you know, people say, Joseph, he could have stood up and he could have prevented, he could have done something, he could have, you know, stopped them from crucifying Jesus. But think about the position he was in. Put yourself in a position that Joseph was in. There was maybe one, two, just maybe a small handful of people that were secret followers of Jesus. And then you have maybe 65, 60, 65 men, other men there, shouting down Jesus, wanting to condemn him, saying he deserved to die, spitting on his face, pulling his beard, punching him as he was being blindfolded. It would have been hard. It would have been difficult. And yeah, you know, he probably messed, he messed up by not saying anything. He could at least made some kind of defense for Jesus, but he didn't. You see, as a secret follower of Jesus, Joseph always had a choice to speak up. Unfortunately, like Peter, he let the fear of man get the best of him. He may have felt he wasn't in a position to do anything for Jesus at that particular moment. Since again, the minds of the majority were already made up, were already set. Although he may have failed back then, now he was coming boldly to Pilate and asking for Jesus' body. And you know what that did? You know what? That displayed a tremendous amount of courage from him. It's like, you know what? He got to a point where he's like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. This guy was, this guy Jesus, this man, this, my, this Savior, deserves to be honored. He deserves the honor. I don't care what anybody says anymore. I'm going to ask for his body and give him, I'm going to ask for his body and give him a proper burial. You see, he was telling everyone that he was no longer going to be ashamed of being known as a follower of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea risked his prominent position and reputation just to bury the body of Jesus. And I really believe God honored him for that. You see, when no one else stepped up to the plate, when no one else was able to do anything about Jesus' body, Joseph did. Joseph stepped up to the plate and said, okay, I'm going to do this. I have to do this. He did what he had to do because no one else would. 
I want to share with you what Pastor John Corson said. Maybe you're a Joseph, one who is quieter in personality. Although you may not be one who preaches or distributes, or distributes tracts to everyone you see, I have found that when the, going gets, when the going really gets tough, when push comes to shove, a lot of times it's the Josephs who emerge as heroes, solid and steadfast. In the moment of greatest danger, when the hour of challenge has come, it is the Josephs who are often the most solid in times of crisis. You may be a Joseph, and there may have been times where you're like, you know, stood silently by as someone asked about Jesus or talked about Jesus. You know what? It comes a time again when you just, you're going to have to stand up for what you believe in. Joseph did it. It took a lot of courage. He could have lost his position as a, as a council member. He might have lost a lot of friends. But he stood up. He had the courage. I encourage you to do what you have to do. Don't worry about the friends. Don't worry about just stand up for Jesus. If he died on the cross for you and suffered all that for you, the least you can do is just say, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. And when you do mess up, and when you do screw up, don't allow your mistakes to define you. And don't let those mistakes convince you to believe the lie that God can't use a person like you. He can and will use you to stand firm in your faith in Jesus Christ. If God can use someone like Joseph to give Jesus the honor he deserved, he can use you to bring him honor too. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, family, next to the resurrection, the death of Jesus Christ is just as significantly important. It's important because we've been given a solution to the problem of sin. And that solution is this. That solution is this. In His infinite wisdom and goodness, God sacrificed His Son to forgive us our sins. Because of Jesus' death, we have been reconciled to God. On the cross, Jesus Christ took on himself the sins of the world in order that those who believe in him will be justified before God when he comes back to judge the world. When he comes back, he's going to separate the shaft from the wheat, you know, the good sheep from the bad. And when he sees us, and when, we see, when he sees us covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, he's going to say, you're innocent. I don't see your sins anymore. You're free to reign in righteousness with my son. You can be reigning with Christ. What an amazing picture. 
He paid the penalty for your sins. He paid it all. And what kind of honor will you show Him? What kind of love will you show Him? This life is but a it's but a speck of dust. It comes and it goes. You may think that 60, 70, 80 years, if you're fortunate enough to live 100 years, you may think that it's a long time and you have plenty of time to give your life to Jesus and to walk right with Jesus. But you don't know that. Only God knows the time and day that you will die. And when that happens, and when you are in God's throne room, when you are in God's throne of judgment, will, you see, will He see you as innocent or will He see you as guilty? And like I said, if you've accepted Jesus, if Jesus is really in your heart, and you see the cross for what it is, and what He did for you, He's going to presume you innocent. And if you don't, we're told in the Bible that just the punishment's going to be eternal torment in hell. Torment, where there's weeping and gnashing of the teeth. There is no party in hell. There's no good time. There's no, you know, uh, eventually, you know, I'll work my way to heaven. No, that's the finality. That's it. Weeping and gnashing of the teeth. Eternal torment and suffering. Right now, we have the Holy Spirit. We have that. Uh, he's accessible to us. God is accessible to us. And a lot of the good things that we have here on this earth, a lot of the blessings are because of Him. We, are the sunshine, the, count it all. I mean, it, your vision, your, the heartbeat. It could be, it just, it's because of Him. Now imagine eternal separation from God where he's no longer there and he's no longer offering the blessings and he knows he's, he's gone and you can't call for him anymore. I don't think that even... That's just a piece of the description of what hell is like. Jesus suffered that. He endured that when he died on the cross. He took on... He took on God's wrath. He took on sin for him, you know, on himself so that you may be presumed innocent. He breathed his last to give you life. Without the death of Christ on the cross, we are exposed to God's righteous anger, spiritually dead, Prisoners of Satan and sin, guilty without excuse or escape. However, this is what the death of Christ gives us. An escape of sin's death, sin's death penalty, favor with God, freedom and escape from self-imposed captivity. 
forgiveness of sins, spiritual peace, and to be made right with God. One of our, if you guys remember, one of our worship songs, our last worship song, described the death of God's love for us by sending His Son to die for us. Now I want to share, I want to share it again. But if you didn't already, listen to the words. And I added a video to it just so that you see what His cross did. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch His treasure how great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory I cannot give a name. 